Welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. Today I'm here with uh, one of my good buddies that I've known for quite a long time uh, in the hunting world. And he's kind of a nerd. I, and we can say that because we're both nerds and dorks. But he's Proud kind of, nerd. Proud nerd. Kind of a nerd when it comes to kind of the, the agriculture around hunting. And I'm going to say that in the terms of from if, if it's if it's a tall tree to its to its low grass to it's the nuts that fall from those trees. Uh, this next guest is all about that. Big in hunting, big in in the outdoors. Um, a name you probably haven't heard of, but you've probably um, have been touched by something that he has physically been a part of, which is pretty rad to 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 say nowadays. So Dudley Phelps, thank you so much from from Mossy Oak Native Nurseries coming on and chatting with me. Uh, I really appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. And, uh, you know, we've had so many of these discussions before, uh, it's a good thing that we're going to let other people hear our discussion. Yeah. It's and for me on the podcast, it's crazy because in the past I've done podcasts where it's all geared towards wild game cooking since I'm a chef and I've really kind of tried to reach out and just anything that's in the outdoors from anything food wise to, blind wise to what we do, I think is, is a huge benefit to hunters who are listening and maybe drop a little nugget of knowledge for some people that had no idea about what it actually takes to, you know, create a healthy herd in your neck of the woods or on a lease that you may have. So again, thanks for coming on Dudley and thanks for taking time out of your probably still probably warm in Mississippi, I would assume. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, but it is nice. The last few mornings we've gotten up and, you know, you, you can almost taste the fall in the air and you keep the windows down on the way to work. And then an hour later, it's 93 degrees and you're like, uh, maybe I'll get that taste again in the morning, you know. Oh, no, that's that's I was actually on a, a phone call this morning with a buddy from Texas. And I go, you can feel the fall in the air like yeah, the day still might be in the 80s and 90s, but you can feel that that crisp. You know, when you walk, like, yeah. when, I, when I get up and let the dogs out in the morning or walk the dog, it's, you get out and you're like, whoo, there's kind of a, a little shiver in my bones. And, and and you can see that on trail cameras too. We're looking at the trail cameras and we're seeing deer all day moving now. Where, you know, it's been, oh, it's, yeah. it's been the summer where you only saw them at night. Now it's like you're starting to see those bucks come out. You're starting to see all the does, all the fawns running around, which to me is beautiful so yeah been seeing that a lot on my commute just we've been working so much uh out at the nursery getting things ready to ship and we're also looking forward to seed collection is coming up you know of course we collect stuff all summer long but our uh, niche is oaks and acorns and so we're going to be busy probably until mid-january collecting acorns and, and for the you of those who are listening who don't know what an acorn is, uh, <laughs> it may be an acorn if you are watching Chippendale Rescue Rangers or something along that line. It's the same. same am, am I correct? It's the same exact nut? That is the, that is the exact same thing. Now, is that the proper pron- pronunciation is acorn or is that just your southern upbringing? I think that's the vernacular. I, I bet you acorn is, is proper. If, if, uh, let's, let's face it. I, I think that's right. Well, see, I'm from California, so we grow up and everyone out here, they grow almonds, right? Ammon. Oh, okay. Ammon. I didn't even know that was a pronunciation. And, you know, you ask all the almond farmers, 
and they'll tell you, is it pronounced salmon or salmon? And so it's the same sort of idea, you know, it's like, but yeah, I remember growing up, someone's like, oh, have you had, have you had almonds? I was like, no, I've never had almonds. What are they? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, almonds? Yeah, yeah. I've eaten almonds many of times. Uh, so I was just curious if it's because of you do what you do versus the rest of the world, just like, no, it's an acorn. But who knows? No, I'm just proud of my, my Southern vernacular. And so uh, it depending on who I'm talking to, um, I feel like this crowd can respect my pronunciation. Oh, I agree. But if I'm if I'm talking to a bunch of PhDs, I, I probably swap over to Acorn. See, it just it sounds weird when you say it that way because <laughs> your, your accent shouldn't say that. But um, so we're gonna jump right into this. We're gonna kind of talk a little bit about trees since that's your niche. Um, if you want to go over and check out Dudley talking about trees in person, you can go over to the Native Nurseries um, on social media, which we'll link on the bottom. We'll talk about that more, but kind of the big thing I want to talk about is like, what purpose do trees serve? Uh, like in the hunting world, I know they serve by giving oxygen and all this stuff, but like what, what is the main reason to like really look at these different, different oaks and trees when we're looking at creating a, a healthy herd and a beautiful landscape for not only deer, but Turkey, waterfowl, you know, wood ducks are eating acorns as well. So Sure. Um, and, and I'll be the first to say that, you know, you, you talk to some of these biologists that have done all these studies and a lot of them tell you, will tell you, you know, some of the biggest and best deer, uh, are killed in areas where there's really hardly any trees at all or, or massed crops. But, uh, we think of it as a bonus, you know, and, and deer and critters have, have been around them for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, it, it really depends on the area, but, you know, some places they may actually migrate towards, you know, these massed crops at, at the right time of year. Um, and so I've always been a big fan of them. I, ever since I was young, I was collecting acorns off the ground and whatnot and putting them in my pocket, no matter whether I planted them or not. Uh, but, uh, I mean, gosh, uh, there's so many different species of oaks, uh, and they have such a wide range. You know, they're all over the world. Um, and a lot of people just think of it as an oak tree that drops acorns and it's one time a year that they fall, but, uh, it's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, there's so many, uh, insects that utilize oak Recording trees. Recording in progress. Um, it's, there's so many insects that utilize oak trees. Um, so it's not just about the mast. Um, there is a professor uh, up in the Northeast. His name's Doug Tallamy. Um, I've been following him for several years. Um, he has more or less uh, mapped out all these insects that use oak trees. And by far, uh, there's more insects using oak trees than any other species out there. Um, so he's mapping between three and 400 different species of insects that use these trees, uh, with, you know, moths, butterflies, what do they make? They make little caterpillars that drop on the ground. So, um, and what eats that, you know, little birds and things. Uh, he was talking about a study where, uh, somebody figured out, you know, like how many little caterpillars a chickadee eats every day or takes back to their nest and it's just astounding. Um, but, but like with deer and, and 
turkeys and things like that. I mean, that's just part of they, you know, they've been eating those things way before we invented food plots and pellet feed and all that kind of stuff. You I know. agree. And now, I mean, here in Southern California, we, I mean, you can answer this for me. I've heard a million different things. How often do oak trees drop acorns? Isn't it like every five years? Well, it, it, it varies a lot. And so the, the answer to that is it depends. Okay. Um, there are some species that are, are more prone to drop on an annual basis, but it, it's more like an individual thing. You know, oaks have not been improved like corn has. Um, so some individuals will be heavy, heavy producers. Some may not produce at all. And some, like you said, may not drop, but every five or six years. Um, and that's going to vary by species. It's going to vary by region. Um, there's so many factors that come into play and, and I'll even add that there are different taxonomic sections of oaks. So here in the States, most of that is red oak and white oak, and they're in, in a separate taxonomic section. So red oaks produce acorns on a two year cycle. So they will flower in the spring and they will produce acorns. And that acorn will go through one growing season and get to maybe a fourth of its mature size. And then it'll go through the winter. And then that next spring, it will start growing again into the summer. And by the fall, it matures and drops in its second year. Mm. Whereas white oaks flower and produce a nut in the same year. Okay. Um, so a red oak will actually have what we refer to as an acornet which is a first-year acorn, and a second-year acorn on the same branch. But the, the new acorns are going to be further out on the branch because they're going to be born, you know, that prior spring. So sort of like here in, this, in, you know, or where they grow citrus, we'll have a mature orange sometimes and then a immature orange just because of the way the cycle of the tree is going, kind of what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, and so the white oaks will flower and produce and drop in one growing season. And the reds, it takes two seasons for that thing to grow and, and mature and drop. But it will have two different years' worth of acorns on the same tree at the same time. But it's easier said than done in the oak world because they don't always have good pollination. They may have a late frost. You may have a drought. Um and again, there's just some individuals that aren't as productive as others. Um, and so the, some theories, some folks think that, you know, some are just there to produce a good pollen crop and they never will be a good acorn producer. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, God has a way for each individual oak tree um, to, I guess, feed the whole population of oaks in that area. You know, they, it's almost like bees have a different job. Right. Uh, individual oaks have different jobs as well. Because I know, to, I mean, here in Southern California and on the West, we're following our animal migrations with the drop of acorns. Um, and so with mule deer, blacktail deer, you know, our Rio Grande turkeys, what we're doing is we'll go into an area and we'll be like, okay, this tree has no acorns. And as far as you can see, our, I mean, our, we call them live oaks. I don't know what kind of that falls into or why. It's probably Cali what I think we call that California live oak. Yeah, we just call them live oaks, and they're kind of shorter, stocky. They grow out. 
Um, and but what we'll do is Walt will actually find the trees that are dropping, and then all of a sudden we'll start to see sign like crazy. And sometimes you'll go a mile and a half of where there's no acorns anywhere for two years. And then all of a sudden you'll find one whole hillside that's just covered in it. And then that's where the deer are. That's where the bear are. That's where the turkey are. That's where the dove are, the quail are, the pheasant. Like all of a sudden you find this burst of wildlife that, again, I think it's coming from, like you were saying, the insects that are that are using that tree. The Because the insects are going to bring the birds. The birds are going to bring the predators. Predators are going to, you know, like drop more seeds in there. And so it's crazy for us here because when I'm trying to teach new hunters about stuff, I'm like, okay, we go into an area like this looks this looks like perfect turkey habitat. And I go, it was three years ago and it will be in two more years, but there's kind of that three to four year cycle with a lot of these trees. And it's, it's absolutely insane to actually follow. Cause you know, we can't plant food crops here. Uh, you know, it's considered baiting. Um, but we can sit there and actually follow the crops of, of acorns that are going through. And so it's kind of, for me, it's kind of fun to hear you talk about the different types because we really only see the one main type down here in the Southern central California area, but it's, I mean, some of the biggest deer I've ever shot in California are off of those acorns. Um, so. Right. And, and, and we say, see that around here on, on a lot of public land, you know, where there's, you know, mature forest everywhere. And, uh, it's probably not as extreme as where you are, but, um, you know, I may have to walk past 30, northern red oaks or 30 white oaks before i find one that's dropping Uh, but the beauty of that is like you said is that everybody's there for the party um you know like you were saying even of course we're in mature woods so we're not going to see doves but they're going in and you know like you were saying they they get all the little bits and pieces that the the deer drop you know Uh, it's just foraging you know it's just a crazy little area of of concentrated game yeah I remember, and non-game i remember we were we were watching a bunch of does come in and it was we could only shoot bucks and these does are in there crunching acorns and you know as deer they're a a, a grazing animal right so they're not just going to sit there eat they're, they're they're messy eaters and so they were chomping on these acorns throwing bits out and it was funny to watch the quail come out and run under their feet and grab the little bits and run away and we just sat there watching this this play between these deer eating the acorns and the quail coming out and getting because the quail can't eat a giant nut, right? But when that deer crunches and they break it all and it becomes the little the little bits that are going out, these valley quail are running in, grabbing little pieces and running out. And it was as as hunters, as much as we want to kill to feed our family, we love. I mean, I know at least for me and probably for you as well, we love watching nature. We love watching the animals work. We love watching the symbiotic relationship between a deer and, and a plant or between a deer and a quail. And then looking even farther, watching the ants that are going and getting the smaller pieces, the quail can't get like, it's, Oh yeah. It's just, and they're probably picking all the, you know, we call them acorn weevils, the curculio genus. Uh, and there's nerd. a couple others, but, uh, <laughs> is that, know, that the, now is that the little, like if you get an acorn, there's a hole in it, right? That's what that is. Yeah. That is its exit hole, you know? So a little, a little fly, uh, a beetle will land on that acorn, you know, when it's, when it's green and almost mature and it'll drill a tiny hole and lay an egg. And then that, that weevil will, you know, it'll hatch and it'll eat what it needs out of the inside of that acorn and then bore its way out and then go on to the next stage in the ground. Uh, 
So, you know, when you're seeing all these deer eat, you know, quail and all that stuff, they're probably rooting up all those little weevil larvae too. You know, it's all part of the process. So now, does that destroy the nut itself? Um, there's been studies on that and usually around 70% of the time they don't damage that growing tip of the acorn. And so you can still plant it and it will survive most of the time, uh, in a, from a production standpoint, when you're able to pick up thousands of acorns, uh, we actually float test them. And so we will discard those and, and only plant the ones that don't have acorn weevils in them. But in reality, yeah, you can plant those and 70% of the time they'll sprout. You know, if it's something hard to collect, yeah, we plant every last one of them. Right. And so but you're, now you're saying float test. Is that sort of because it has more air in it so it's floating up or does it sink because it has a hole in it? Yeah. So either uh, it's, you know, not mature enough or it didn't get pollinated or, or whatever. Uh, if there's any air space in that acorn, it will float and it'll tell you that, you know, there's something not right with it. But, so you know, so the, do you do the, like giant pools of that, like almost like cranberries or do you guys? No, do like, we'll, like we'll just do five gallon buckets or, you know, we just do a little bit at a time, uh, you know, so we may collect, I don't know, 50,000 of, of white oaks and uh, we'll, we'll float them and end up with 20 or 30,000, you know, if it's a bad weevil year. Um, but we also try to collect from trees that don't have a lot of weevils, you know, uh, do, you, do you find more trees or like have them than, than, than don't, uh, what we found in areas where there aren't a lot of deer competition, um, it seems like, you know, if these acorns get eaten before they're able to go on to the next stage, uh, which is, you know, burrow into the ground and, and pupate or whatever they do, uh, then they, then they come back. But if this is in an area that has a high population of deer and other things that are eating the acorns, as soon as they drop on the ground, uh, it seems to keep that population in check. Mm. So do they kind of just, is it sort of like a turtle where they're going to be laid in that tree, the acorn falls, they go in the dirt, they go back and lay their own eggs in that tree and that tree continues that cycle of that family. Yep. That's crazy. Like, I mean, that's something I never knew. Yeah. Entomology in itself is, is, a, is really neat. And I, I want to get more into that, but I've been obsessing over trees for so long. I've, I've kind of learned what I wanted and, you know, it's, it's funny how that works. You'll, you'll move on to something else to obsess about, but right now the insects and, you know, grasses and wildflowers are kind of my new thing that I'm really interested in. Yeah. It's sort of like my wife always says, you have a book of a, of a, a million things you want to do but you just keep adding to that book and you never actually finish that book. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, I got an idea. She's like, just add it to your book. Add it. Oh, I got the, oh, just add it to your book. Oh, I want to do this. Add it to your book. Um, that's so true because it's, I mean, I think that's just our, our male mentality of like, Oh, see it. Want to know it more, you know, or we're playing like we were playing a game with my kids and it was adults versus children. Um, I forget some sort of trivia game and a question came up and I was like, I don't mean, I don't know the answer to that. Next thing you know, I'm on my phone for like 15, 20 minutes. My wife's like, Hey, come on, we're playing this game. I'm like, yeah, but look, do you know that this, that this, that she's like, and nobody cares. Like nobody, nobody cares about, it was some fish, some little fish in the ocean. And I went down this rabbit hole and she's like, nobody cares about that fish, Jeremiah. 
And I was like, somebody well, does, because they wrote this whole entire article on this little fish. So somebody cared. But, you know, my wife's mentality was like, you're, but now I know way too much about this little, you know, this little fish. And it was, it's this little California smelt that actually, it's the reason we can't use most of the Sacramento River because there's this little smelt minnow that lives in that Sacramento River that we're using. So that's why like 70% of that water gets dumped in the ocean when it could be used for agriculture and other things because of this little itty bitty fish. They're, they're, they're diverting entire aqueducts just for this little, this little schmelt. And so it's just, to me, it's interesting because it's changing and developing within human and animal world, as you know, but for my wife, it's just something stupid to put in my brain that I'm never going to use because I can't change well, the, the reason you got where you are with this knowledge about, you know, hunting and, and what you do with, with game meat and everything else is you obsessed over it. Oh, yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, who, I hope you don't swap over to being the smelt guy. You no. You keep doing what you're <laughs> I, doing. Well, my real reason is I wonder what they taste like, you know. Right. Uh, as you know, I like to eat the most random, obscure. I mean, you've eaten many of my food items where I'm like, hey, this is bobcat jerky. You're like, okay, sure, I'll try it. Yeah. Um, well, the smelt looked like something you could drop in a fryer, you know, and, and, and aren't there smelt that, that you can do that with? Yeah. These guys are like the, you know, like the, you get the mosquito minnows in ponds yeah. and stuff. They're about that size. So, yeah. but I'm thinking you could totally, you know, think about like Vietnamese culture. They're taking those in those big old walks with the oil and frying it up and then, you know, put them on little skewers. And I mean, it's doable, but I, I, I bet it's California. It's, it's probably like a felony to even, <laughs> to, to even look at them. So. But, uh, next question, what, what type of tree would you recommend like for, if people are looking to plant, uh, specifically for Turkey or specifically for deer to attract more? Cause are they going towards the same tree or they, do you see them kind of diversified liking a red versus liking a white? Right. I, you know, they deer and Turkey have, have been hanging out together for so long that I think that, you know, one is good for the other. Um, now that said, uh, you know, you, where we are, we have so many different types of oaks, you know, where you are, there's, there's not as big of a a list of species, but around here, uh, and in, in, in a good portion of the U S, um, I would say, and this may be the unpopular opinion, but, uh, these red oaks that make really small acorns, they're so important to both, um, and I'll back up a little bit. You know, diversity always wins. Uh, you want to have as many species as you can. Uh, that way you've got different drop times. Um, you know, the white oaks are often preferred, but that's usually what the deer and everything else gobbles up first, and then they're gone. Uh, but these red oaks that have more tannins in them, um, oftentimes you can crack a red oak open and it's orange on the inside instead of white. But... Um, it just, when you, when you feel the texture of it, it feels a little more waxy on the, you know, the inside of the acre and the, the actual meat. Um, and there's more tannins, so it can last longer under the leaf litter without rotting. Um, and the beauty of that is in January, February, early March, when there's zero food around, Deer, turkeys, and other critters can come paw up the leaves and find those in the leaf litter. Um, whereas, you know, again, the more popular white oaks have already been eaten a long time ago. 
So uh, you just want to have some diversity. But yeah, uh, white oak is really popular, bur oak, swamp white oak. And it also depends on where you are. You know, you, you really want to only plant what you know will thrive in your area. Um, what's been there the longest. And, and you also have to look at your site types. Um, you know, some portions of your land may be a little creek drainage that has more moisture and more fertility. Um, but uh, some of the stuff may be on top of a hill and you need to plant an oak that can, you know, tolerate those drier, more exposed conditions. But if you're, if you're planting the diversity, um, you're going to have food over a long time. And that's really what, what wins ultimately. So I do a lot of hunting down in South Texas and there's a couple little patches of oak trees that are out there. I don't know what type they are. Um, and they're always growing down in those, you know, river bottoms where again, it's drier than dry the entire year, but when it does get water, it floods. And so one of the questions that I actually got asked by another Texas dude, uh, was, is there a good Oak for kind of drought resistant type Oak or one that thrives in less water? Because there is a lot of, you know, Texas, again, you look at central Northern Texas, it's covered in Oak trees. I mean, everywhere you go, every, every Turkey roost I ever shot off of in Turkey in Texas is off of a off of a you know giant huge oak tree, but then you get down mm-hmm. in towards like Laredo and West Texas where it's a lot more flat and barren, and there's little patches of oaks. But they were curious about which which is the best type of oak in your opinion to plant on these drier you know even in California and some of these drier areas that we have. Right, um, and when you when it comes to extreme climates like. Texas or California, you know, they don't, uh, they don't get 70 inches of rainfall a year there. Um, you, you almost have to, you know, where I am, you can plant all different types of things because we've got moist, well-drained soils. Uh, you know, you can almost plant anything and it'll thrive here. Right. But, but when you get to these more extreme areas, and I'm not talking about just weather. The soils can also be extreme. Yeah. You know, a lot of them can be really alkaline and high pH. Um, there can be a lot of salinity because when it rains, it doesn't get all used and it like evaporates in the ground and leaves all these salty minerals and things everywhere. So um, in a situation like that, you probably just have to stick with the, the native oaks that have been thriving there, you know, and, and being able to compete there for years. So things like scrub oak and live oak come to mind. Um, there's a, a lot of just oddball species out there that, to be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about. Um, there's a Monterey oak that uh, often is called Mexican white oak that you can find in pockets in, in Mexico gr- and, and Texas. And a lot of that, and that's what usually grows all the moss and stuff off that, correct? Uh, that's live oak. Okay. Um, so that's, but this, but this Monterey oak, uh, is you find people planting a lot in the landscape in Texas and California. Um, and it's not very common, but it's a really good choice. And that would be something for people to look into, uh, to add to what's already growing there. Um, bur oak is another good one. It can tolerate poor soils. You don't always see it all the time. But that would be a good one to try and see how it does in your area. Um, and there's even pockets of uh, water oak down there, which is another small acre in red. And how would 
how would you go about if you you've got your you know ten thousand acre property you've got a patch of these would you how would you go about harvesting and eventually growing so you can plant more with these acorns that are out there instead of just letting the deer and turkey and vultures and everything else gobble them up before you had a chance is there a method to that kind of that madness yeah i mean and that's how i got started i was just picking up acorns you know i'd be walking to class and see a productive tree and i'd be like oh cool and uh but yeah you just collect the acorns um some you have to decide if they're in the white oak section or the red oak section uh, white oaks you typically have to plant right away they will auto sprout um, so their goal is to get a root down in the fall um, and get some winter rains and send down that root all fall and winter and in the spring it can sprout whereas the red oaks they typically have to fall on the ground um, and be exposed to moisture and cold to trigger them to sprout the following spring um, but both you can actually keep in the fridge so you can collect them, put them in like a Ziploc freezer bag and overwinter them in the fridge. Mm. Um, you have to check humidity from time to time that you don't want them to dry out. Um, you may need to put a moist paper towel in there or something like that. And then you plant them in the spring. You can plant them like in a raised bed setting, um, you just plant the acorns on their side, you know, maybe a half inch deep. Um, the way they fall out of the tree, uh, you know, people think you need to plant them with the point down or whatever, but uh, an acorn falls on its side and lays on its side all winter long, you know, and, then, and it'll send down a root. So you can plant it on its side, like in a raised bed or a garden type setting. Or if you want to uh, grow them in pots, you can do that. But um, usually they'll, they'll pop up. Uh, you know, within a month or so, um, give them some fertilizer, uh, keep them out in the full sun, and then you can transplant them that next fall or winter. So is that usually the process is about a year in the pot before you transplant? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got our own nursery. It's, it's Mossy Oak Native Nurseries, but um, our niche is, is one-year-old seedlings, and it, and it really is the way to go. Um, trying to grow a tree in a pot for three years um just by law of averages you're going to go on a vacation or you're going to forget to water them or something and they're not going to make it and even if they do you've got to haul those things to your land and dig a big old hole and stake them and probably water them for the first couple of years whereas when you start with a seedling and plant it at the proper time um, it can send down its roots all fall and winter and jump that next spring and they're just so much easier to plant and maintain and uh, so to, trying to grow a big so old plant so to protect those seedlings what what would you suggest be the best thing for that um we recommend something if you don't uh nine times out of ten a deer is going to eat it your uncle is going to mow it you know something yeah uh, but we use those tree tubes which is a a plastic cylinder uh, they're about four inches in diameter and about four feet in height. It'll keep deer from rubbing their antlers on them. Um, if you want to spray a little bit of weed control, you can do that to keep, you know, grasses and weeds from sucking all the moisture and nutrients away from your plant. Uh, put some mulch down. Um, it's not uncommon on a good site if you're using these tree protectors, weed control, a little fertilizer, for some of them to hit six or seven feet tall the first year. Really? Um, that fast yeah. growing? 
You can also cage them. Uh, there's pros and cons to the tubes. Um, I think the pros far outweigh the cons. Um, the one con with the tree tubes is that they often will grow a little bit spindly. They put on so much height growth that they don't quite put on the diameter growth. Mm. Um, but uh, where you use a cage, it will grow a lot slower upright, but it will be a more stout seedling because it's more exposed to the wind. When, when a tree is growing in the wind, it's, it's like us lifting weights. Your cells will break down and then they'll reform even stronger. But that'll be at, uh, you'll lose some height growth with that. Um, and usually around year three, if you're using those tree tubes, you know, they would have grown out of the tube and been exposed to more sunlight and more wind. And that's when they strengthen up and start adding diameter growth. Uh, but regardless, use a cage or a tube and 90% of the time you'll end up with a mature tree. If you don't, uh, you're probably going to be buying that same amount of seedlings the next year <laughs> the to next year, replace like, them. I don't, I don't know why they just keep getting eaten. Yeah, because you just and I, this I, beautiful I, little, <laughs> this beautiful little. It's like a bean sprout for us. Like I just throw it in the salad. It's delicious. Yeah, I mean that's they love them, you know. And the the very animals that we're trying to feed are eating said plant that we're trying to grow for them. But if only they knew. <laughs> if only they knew. Well, but I, I mean, I will literally tell people, and, you know, I'm a salesman. I, I sell trees for a living. Uh, I will tell people to buy fewer trees um, so they can budget for these tree tubes. It's that it's that important. What's the average cost on one of those tubes? Tubes are expensive. Uh, you know, by the time it's all said and done um, and they've shot up and, you know, just the way, you know, car tires cost almost twice as they did three years ago. Uh, you're looking at seven or eight bucks for a tree tube and a stake. Um, and then, you know, a good seedling is going to cost you five or six bucks. Um, and we typically recommend about a 35 foot spacing or 35 trees per acre. If you're wanting to, you know, reforest an area. Um, and so, uh, Compared to some of the textbooks and the government regulations, I mean, the government recommendations, um, that's way fewer per acre. You know, we're talking 35 per acre. You know, most of these USDA recommended, uh, NRCS recommended spacings are like a 10 by 15. You know, you're, mm. you're talking three, four, 500 trees an acre. That's just, um, and that's I think just they're so just thick. accounting for, um, you know, they're not recommended tubes or cages. So they're, they're estimating loss is what kind of you're saying. They're estimating loss. And I, I think a lot of those programs, they're really going for those roots in the ground. It's more about erosion control and soil than it is planting trees at a proper spacing and making them all live. Right. Uh, they're assuming mortality. Right. Well, let's get off trees for a little bit. Let's talk about hunting um, and kids because you've got kids like I've got kids. Oh, yeah. Are they as pumped for hunting season as I meant, did you guys go out for dove? Oh, uh, we, we did not. Uh, you know, we've got this thing called soccer and cross country and band. Nope. <laughs> it's funny. People ask why my kids don't play sports. And I said, because sports happen during hunting season. That's and right. It's, and it's, it's not a selfish thing. It's when I brought it to my kids, would you rather play soccer or go hunting? And they're like, well, we want to go hunting. I'm like, well, bummer. Soccer's out. And I really don't want to go sit on a soccer field in, yeah. when I can go be shooting uh, deer and dove and, and turkey and everything else that's going on. So We we get a little bit in. Um, 
my my girls grew up quick. Uh, my my oldest child, she's been pig hunting and deer hunting. Uh, got a got a really good pig, and uh, I think she just a lot of my well, she just enjoys being outside more. Yeah. Um. So, but uh, and my my middle child has never been interested in it, but they're all interested in you know the biology. They're interested in the soils and the plants. Um, and they sure do love eating meat, but, uh, I just hadn't been as successful as others at, at getting them out in the field. Now, uh, little dud has killed a couple of deer and we're planning on doing some dove hunting, squirrel hunting and duck hunting this winter. That's awesome. Yeah. We went out dove this year and it was, well, we go out every year, but we had 36 hunters out there. I think 10 of them were brand new adult and youth hunters. Um, oh, wow. Oh, it was so I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, it's I I haven't missed a dove opener since I was six years old, and I just turned forty. So you do the math on how long I've been hunting dove, and but starting about eight years ago, I started talking to farmers because I've been hunting the same area, and been hunting private land instead of trying to force public land with three four thousand other bird hunters, <laughs> and it's just it's absolutely insane. And the hunters like it because we go in, we clean up, we help them do stuff throughout the year, and it's sort of. Like I said, it's it's that we help maintain. It's not a lease because it's free, um, but we help them out do other things. And so once I started that, I started opening this up to new hunters that just got their hunter license or a dad who has a kid or people that hit, hit me up. It's like, hey, we don't know where to go. I'm like, you know what? Hey, come out. Um, and we've been doing it where opening morning, I cook a huge breakfast uh, on the, you know, on the back of the truck. Everyone's out there. Everyone's fellowshipping. We do a big kind of devotional and prayer. And then we set people up like, hey, this is your section of the field. Hunt it, love it, have a good time. Um, the day but like the, the day before, we go out and shoot clays, and we do, like, shooting classes with these kids and adults. And it's funny to see, you know, grown <clears throat> grown dads with their 10-, 12-year-old son who have never shot guns before out there having it. You know, I bring 30, 40 different shotguns. Like, hey, if you don't have a gun, don't worry about it. Just buy ammo. And this year, my 13-year-old, was this was her first opener that she hunted. She's hunted, like – second season openers just because openers so crazy and it's 118 degrees and she's like no dad mm-hmm. i don't want to but this year was the year that she was like excited and pumped like she's she's packing her certain things she's sighting in her shotgun she's doing this she's doing that and we go out there and she's telling people where to stand what to do she's setting up decoys and i was just one of those oh, heck yeah one of those proud dad moments you're like all right you know and i for me i haven't pushed it on them i'm like hey we're going to hunt as a family. We're getting your license. If you want to go out with me, you're going, you're going out with me. You know, you have to go out once during the season. But other than that, like, if you don't want to go out, you don't want to go out. And so for her, she was going out every morning and she's shooting dove and she's hooting and hollering. And she's, and for me, when she starts calling it out, dad, here comes one. And then I shoot it and she sends the dog, you know, it's, it's exciting for me to see that, that growth come on. And then for her to be excited for cooking it and plucking it. And one of my nephews went out, he's 18 first time hunter. Uh, he just got his license and he was like all worried and weird to grab the bird. She's <laughs> like, just go grab it. You know, he's this 18 year old kid boy. And she's this 13 year old girl. She's like, just rip its head off. It's still alive. Like, <laughs> um, so for me, it was kind of fun and kind of exciting to see the growth of those kids. And it meant your kids are about the same age, right? How old's your oldest? I've got a 21 year old and a, 20-year-old and a 12-year-old. Oh, that's right. So your youngest is your 12-year-old. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot your girls are, you know, college age. Um, mm-hmm. But it's fun to see that excitement in their eyes when it's your passion, right? And it's oh yeah, probably watching your kids get out there and do the same things you're doing and getting that getting that flare up of them, you know, wanting more and wanting to do it. And you know, my my youngest, she's like, eh, I'll go out, um, but she's not as fired up about it. She's more fired up on which is crazy on the production side of it. Dad, we got to do this for a picture. We got to do this for a video. And I'm like, great. If I can have one kid hunting and one kid doing the video, then I, don't, I can quit my job. Right. And, and let them go out and, and have fun doing stuff. So, um, yeah, my middle child loves to do the cooking. So, yeah, it's, and well, I've got a lot of fun recipes. So you go, you need to go kill some more stuff. Um, hey, did you guys just have your Fox shootout? Charity dinner? That that is this Thursday night. This Thursday. Well, I'm trying to I'll try to post this before that. So if people are listening to it, kind of tell us all about that. I know I've been a part of it in the past, but um, you know, you you got this fox shootout coming out and it's what, golf and and food afterward, right? Charity event. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh we always have a, a big uh you know, at both golf courses. We've got the Mossy Oak golf course, we've got old Waverly that's across the street. Um, I'm not sure how many teams, but it's abs- it's slam full. Like we've had to try to figure out how to make room for more people. Um, and then we've got chefs that come in from all over the place. Uh, just top chefs from all over. Jeremiah, you came once, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, and you've always got an open invite. It, it's a fun time. And, uh, you know, like we've got a, a fishing crew down out of Venice, Louisiana, that'll come up here and they'll bring a couple yellowfin tuna they caught that morning. Uh, we've got, got a, gr- a group bringing oysters from the coast. Uh, you know, Michael Hunter's coming down from Canada. I mean, it's just all kinds of people coming from all different directions. And it's just really cool, eclectic food, uh, stuff you've never seen before. Um, we're doing a dish with krill this year that should be interesting. Really? Um, yeah, so from the from the obvious normal stuff that's high end to stuff you've never had or heard of. And um, what's the purpose of this event? Um, we're raising money uh, for charity. Uh, most of it goes to St. Jude. Um, I think our goal this year is two hundred thousand um, dollars. We auction off hunts all over the place, from local to all over the world. Um, you know. Fancy bourbons, um, hunting equipment, everything you can imagine. Uh, Boats, uh, raffles for side-by-sides, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, and I know that people, even if you don't go to the event, you can still donate um, on stuff. I'll put links down at the bottom of the show notes, but it's a cool event. I just remember reading about it coming up, and I was like, oh, man, I got to talk about that because it's such a – cool experience to watch these people get together um, and eat foods that a lot of them would never ever eat um, and, but to watch people get excited to donate money um, and golf and hear the stories that were surrounded around people uh, was pretty exciting and pretty cool and all that fun stuff but uh, anyway I know that you've got a busy day I've got a busy day um, try to keep this at that 45 minutes so people aren't aren't logging off so um <laughs> Dudley, tell us where people can find out um, all kind of the Mossy Oak stuff you've been talking about, websites, all the stuff. I'll put links down below, but kind of ex- 
kind of give that exit of, of where they can find you and, and your nerdiness of trees? Absolutely. Well, we, you know, we've got native nurseries.com um, and that's native without the E on the end. So N A T I V nurseries.com. Um, we also have gamekeepers.com um, and we have our own podcast. We talk about this kind of stuff every week. Um, so check out the gamekeeper podcast. Um, all of our food plot stuff is, is plant biologic.com. Um, and, uh, or you could just go to the Mossy Oak website and, you know, it's easy to direct yourself wherever you want to go within our organization. And you guys are also on Facebook, Instagram, uh, all you that jazz. It. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I know that you and I always have a good time talking and oh we gotta, yeah, we got to see each other more than just shot show. Um, for sure. I gotta we got to get you down here more and, uh, we need to get out there to visit you. Yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff to shoot. This year, I'm trying to my, – my goal is to do the Grand Slam of quail um, because we've got three three of the six species in California, and then Texas has the other three. And so my goal is to try to shoot them all in one in one year and compare and contrast flavors and bird sizes. And so, I don't know. Yeah, um, you, you've got a lot of small game opportunity where you are. Um, and, and we do, I, I would say, not quite as much. Uh, just based on the way the landscape has changed. Um, you know, again, you kind of live in an, an extreme environment, and that landscape has not changed as much. Right. Uh, around here, we've just got a lot of big trees everywhere. So, yeah. And uh, dove wish- fields are harder to come by. Quail are harder to come by. Um, but I think in the future, small game is going to make a big return here in the southeast. And I, was, I, I hope it does. I was reading a big study. I know we already did the exit, but people can stay and get a bonus. Um, I was I was listening to a biologist talk about how the Bob White's making a huge comeback in Mississippi due to farmers leaving a certain amount of rows between the tree and their crops for these birds to habitate in and out of and leaving uncut grass in those rows so planting like you were talking about native grasses so they're planting native grasses from i think it's like a three and a half foot from the tree line to the field and not crop you know and then keeping their field within that and they're watching a huge influx of bob whites which were almost extinct in mississippi yeah. for you know a couple of years ago yeah and and that was usually areas that were more you know unproductive that's like where the tractors are turning around Oftentimes that's poorly drained. Uh, so instead of just having it be, you know, planted in soybeans and it doesn't do well or they just leave it blank, uh, they're letting it grow up. Um, and there's also programs to get rid of non-native grasses. Uh, we're working on a project right now where we're getting rid of 150 acres of fescue grass. And we're going to try to turn that back into native habitat. So hopefully the quail and turkey poults will thank us for that oh but, yeah uh, yeah here i could talk all day <laughs> oh yeah so could i because again watching the conservation aspect of hunting and the agricultural impact of hunting um is to me it's beautiful and it's it's to someone who lives in southern california to watch our turkeys be almost non-existent in the 70s to having some of the best numbers we've ever had in the 2000s is says something to conservation and hunters we're getting out there doing it. I talked to non-hunters and vegans, vegetarians, and they're like, oh, I don't know anything about it. Right. You have no idea about these turkey that you're complaining about. 
And we're the ones that brought them back. And not we're the them. And we're the ones that are making sure that they still thrive and they're, that they're they're you know going crazy. We were up dove hunting and there were so many quail running around. And five six years ago, you you wouldn't see uh, a gambler's quail anywhere. And now, due to the hunting regulations and farmers understanding the agriculture aspect of it and planting crops that are product, it's it's insane to see. You know, and our Department of Fish and Wildlife purchased so much land out there that was just going to be turned over to like the water department, and they've turned it into natural where they're just planting wheat and letting it grow. They're planting sorghum, they're planting you know uh, pecan trees, they're planting all these things that will continually feed. And it's it's insane. I mean, we shot four hundred dove like opening morning, like that's stupid numbers for the amount of people we had. And it was just and that's so great. And you said you had some non-hunters that came out for their first time and, and got to witness that. Oh, and it's, you know, we bring it. Uh, you've been on fishing boats, cattle boats, where you have the biggest fish, right? So everyone pays mm-hmm. it for the jackpot. Oh, you got the jackpot. You got the biggest fish. You win the money. Well, we do biggest dove. So the longest wingspan from tip to tip. So everyone throws in a dollar. And at the end, whoever has the biggest dove gets the whole pot. And so, again, it adds more of that element of fun because people are coming up. This is the biggest bird I shot. This it's a dove. Nobody cares about the size of a dove. Nobody. Like you shoot a little morning dove or a big white wing, right? Who cares? But all of a sudden you get this adult who's like, look at I shot this white wing and it's 20 and a half inches. Do you even know a wingspan of a dove? You know, the average was 17 to 21 and a half inches. That's the average wingspan from a, a white wing to morning. And so it's crazy because again, I'm learning more about the animal as they're having fun and they're getting excited. So anyway, you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours and yeah, I need to get out to Mississippi. This, this, this winter and do some cooking, do some chasing, do some filming. Um, Come check out our new spot. Oh, I can't wait. I've, I've seen pictures and videos. So um, anyway, thank you again for coming on Dudley. Uh, we'll try to get this posted as soon as we can. And for everyone listening, uh, go check him out and go see just how excited and nerdy he can be on Instagram. <laughs> and you will also see that I comment every single time about how much fun he's having. Like he said, oh, yeah. Like don't pick a or picking a tree is like picking your favorite child. You just can't do it. So uh, anyway, thank you again and uh, have fun this Thursday.